0: Glad you're with us this morning. It's a good day to be together. And and you heard the question, how long is it going to go? I don't know. You may just be here all day, right? Now, glad you're here today. We continue to talk about King Jesus. We've been in this series. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We still have another week or so to go on this idea of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're new to the Bible or you haven't been here, that's okay. We understand that. But in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I mean that sermon is packed full of so many things. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at it. To you, it may feel like it's a little in-depth, but we could go a lot longer and a lot deeper if you chose to. But I figure you probably wouldn't go along with me, so we're not going to. But we're now kind of getting into the end of it, kind of where he's wrapping it up, where he's telling us how important these things are. Now understand, as we talk about every week, that no one completely lives it the way we want to live it, that we're all striving for this. This is what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. This is where we're pointed. This is where we're aimed. Even though we haven't gotten all the way there, we're still working toward that because we want to be like Jesus and we want to do what he wants in his kingdom. So today, we're getting to what, at least in my world when i was growing up was a well-known passage of scripture if it wasn't in yours that's okay too but where i grew up this one today we're looking at is one we talked about a lot like every time we had what we called a gospel meeting some of you called a revival this verse was used every night of those of those revivals or gospel meetings and they were often used in worship services on sunday morning and sunday night in matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14 Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now you have probably heard that scripture in one way or another either in a church service or just quoted in, 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 popu- in, in, in popular culture in various forms. This is well known. You've probably heard it, like I say. However, figuring out all it means is going to be important for us today. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Nobody wants that. Narrow is the road that leads to life. That's the one we all want. But I want us to look at it today the way it is in context. And you remember last week, in this same Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was giving, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, the last thing we talked about was ask seek and knock that idea that there's even an intensity behind it have you look for so you ask and then you look for it and then you start knocking saying give me whatever this is this idea of asking and seeking and knocking living on the narrow path living on the narrow road that jesus talks about here that he says is required is really really difficult I don't want you to give up today if you have one foot in the narrow path and one foot out on the other side in the the brush. I don't want you to give up for that. But I want you to also understand, as you already do, that I recognize this is really difficult to do. It's not just easy. I'm not saying it's just easy for me and hard for you. No, I mean it's hard for me too. It's hard for all of us. But if we ask and we seek and we knock, God will give us the power to walk on the narrow path. That's the whole thing that's so beautiful about this. He will give the power to do that. That's what we know of as the, as the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we will have that power to be able to walk forward. The paths that are, that are talked about here, that are specific here, about, are about the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to understand that, too. You remember, he gives this sermon. There is a reason that this sermon is here, that Jesus gave this sermon. It was compiled, however you want to say it. It is part of that sermon. So the things that were talked about before it is what they are talking about here. Well, this is a tough sermon. I mean, it is full, jam-packed of important things, of exciting things, and, and things that are hard to live. Back several years ago, probably 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a to a, a fundraiser. Barbara and I went at Westbury Christian School and Tony Dungy was the speaker. Most of you or some of you know Tony Dungy was a pro football player and a pro NFL coach and now he's an analyst. And And Dungy's speech was incredible. He's a man of deep faith and I remember the first thing he said I thought, wow, I've got to remember that. And then he went to the, to the next sentence and I went, I've got to remember that. And then he went to the next sentence. I've got to remember that. And then by the time he was five minutes in, I went, there is no way I'm going to remember any of this. That is the Sermon on the Mount. Every line is, wow, I've got to remember that. I've got to remember that. And it's even more than I've got to remember that. It's I've got to live by that. And praise God, it's all written down for us so we can go back and look at it over and over and over and over again. Even if you memorized every word, it's still not enough because it's about living it, not just about memorizing it. So it's about obviously more and so as he talks about this idea of narrow is the path that leads to salvation wide is the path that leads to destruction as he talks about those things what he's saying is it's really hard to live the sermon on the mount that most people are not going to live the sermon on the mount most people will choose a much easier path than to choose what we see here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And he said, well, David, what are, you, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, it's the things we've talked about over the last several weeks. It's like, what do we dwell on? You remember when the Bible talked about that idea of lust, that if a person lusts, they've already committed adultery in their heart. It's not like some passing thought, but it's about dwelling on things. It's about dwelling. He says, what do you dwell on? Where is your mind? Is your mind dwelling on good things? Is it dwelling on God and on godly things? Or is your mind dwelling on the things of this earth, which may be physical lust of another person or a concept, but it may even be where your treasure is of lusting, so to speak, or your mind is on your job rather than your mind on your spouse and on godly things. So what is it we dwell on? It's what do we do, for example. It's not just what you're thinking in your head, but it's also what we do, the way we live with other people. Are we being salt and light? You know, the idea that Christians were called to be the light in a dark world. Christians were called to give the world flavor, to be the salt, the most important part of of the food. That we were called to be those things. It's what we dwell on, what we do. It's how we love. Are we really loving people, loving God above everything, and then loving people, loving our neighbors as ourselves? All these things are part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's how we give. Do you remember that passage that we got to? And he talks about when you give, there is an expectation. How do I give to other people? There was an expectation that if you're going to be in the body of Christ, if you are going to be in the kingdom of God, you will be a person that gives and helps other people. That's just an expe- expectation. So how do I do that? Sometimes we do it grumbling, right? I'm going to ride right, check. No, it's not like that. It's what's in my heart when I give. How do I give toward other people? And then he went right into the next thing about how we fast. And sometimes that's kind of scary because we really like enchiladas, right? And so that's really hard. So how do we fast? He's talking about spiritual discipline here. What kind of discipline spiritually are you using in your life? Are you just free for all? Or are you say, no, Lord, there are things that I'm doing to be closer to you, that I am controlling myself, not just what I eat, but maybe what I watch, what I hear, where I go, all those things. What is it that I'm doing? What is the spiritual life that is behind that? And then he goes right into the next one, how we pray. You remember what's called the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that famous prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, as it says in Old King James. That idea of God is the first thing to be praised. It is not just prayers. It's not just prayers of saying, saying God, give me this. God, give me that. Please, God, why isn't this working out? Come on, God, give me something else. It's saying, God, be praised first and above all else. And then he goes into other things in that prayer, like, give us this day our daily bread. He's saying, I completely depend on you for everything I have. Is that the way we pray? Or are there things that we just kind of take for granted? And we assume that we do that, or it just magically shows up at the grocery store, or shows up in our bank account, or wherever, and we just don't depend on God, but instead depend on ourselves ourselves. It's how we prioritize. Let me tell you, what I'm what I'm about to tell you is tough. Some of you are going to say, Oh, I don't like that. I also want you to know, this is not from me. This is from the scripture, okay? That this is what Jesus said. It's how we prioritize. What he says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He does not say, seek first my job and the kingdom of heaven on the side. He does not say, watch out here. He does not say, seek first my family and the kingdom of heaven on the side. He does not say, seek first myself and the kingdom of heaven down here somewhere else. That is totally against what culture and even christians tell you jesus said if you want to be in my kingdom if you want to know what the kingdom is like none of those things are going to be in, uh, be above god even our spouse isn't going to be above god even we're not going to be above god our our children are not going to be above god that god is first now, obviously, we want to train our children to know about Jesus. We want, to bring, we want our spouses to be in a loving, in a loving relationship where, where Jesus is the head of that relationship. We understand that. Marriages are, in, are a huge part of this, of this congregation, and family ministry is huge. We understand that. But God must be first above everything. And then he goes on, it's even about how we judge people. And because sometimes I am judging you because I am more worried about myself and putting myself first. So I will judge you and what you do. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't need to do that. You don't need to judge other people. You know what? We got that under control. We'll take care of it. You just keep your eyes on your own paper. You don't have to judge everybody else. So that's what we're talking about, about being salt and light in the community and the way we treat other people not just salt and light in the community but salt and light in our families and even salt and light in the church did you know that there are congregations where there's not very much salt and light but there's a whole lot of fighting and a lot of bickering that goes on even in churches sometimes where what they need is some salt and light to come in that looks like jesus and so what we're talking about here is living the sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount is focused more on ethics than it is on doctrine now for some of y'all you can you can take kind of a 5 second siesta and you can check the espn scores or whatever you want to do as i talk about this one thing for some of us old folks here okay so when i was growing up i have and and i mean church work is just who i am I, my parents you know as i've told you before i mean my dad was a preacher Sunday and Wednesday, we're at the church building, he's preaching, teaching a class, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, sometimes Friday night, we are on Bible studies, evangelistic Bible studies, people are being baptized in my little town left and right, I mean, that was our focus, and oh, have did I hear this verse, this passage over and over about why is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. And we talked about that all the time, and I have preached about it, and I have taught it, and I believe it, and all those things. Don't completely misunderstand what I'm saying. But in context of the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking about the way we live. He's talking about the way we think. Now, the way I was always using this was, was, we were talking about the importance of baptism. When we talked about narrow and wide, we were talking about church music about narrow and wide. We were talking about taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday about narrow and wide. We were talking about plurality of elders when narrow and wide. We were talking about non-denominational Christianity whenever we talked about narrow or wide. And that's where we spend all of our time. Yet when you look at this in context, because it is a sermon, and so therefore it is a part of the sermon that it's in, right? He said, hey, this is the way you think. This is the way you treat people. This is the way you love me. This is back to a Christian ethic rather than to a Christian doctrine. And so you're saying, well, wait a minute, David. Do you not not believe those things are important? No, no, they have their place. Don't misunderstand me. There's time for discussion and Bible study all about all those things. But I want you to understand in its context, this is about who we are during the week. So there are actually people, I'm guessing, I'm not here to judge who they are or or who they are. We all think we have ideas sometimes, right? But we don't. People who we say, oh, there's a faithful Christian because let me tell you, they're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They're in a small group. They teach a class. They take the Lord's Supper. They do all those things. Wow, they have really got it going. We're not worried about the cheat they are at work. We're not worried about the reputation they have in their neighborhood. We're not worried about what they look at on their phone. And you look at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, these are the things I'm talking about. I'm talking about who are you when you're by yourself. I'm talking about who are you when no one is looking. Who, how do other people see you? That's what Jesus is saying is the narrow path. That's his words in this sermon, not mine. Those are his words as to what, what we're to be and who we're to be. So some maybe for a minute, maybe saying, okay, wait a minute, David, B- baptism's a really important thing to us. Are you saying that baptism is not important? No, absolutely it's important. Yes, baptism is important. I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, when you talk about the kingdom of God, which this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about, Jesus talks to a religious man one night. He was one of the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night in Matthew, and excuse me, in John chapter six. And he asked about this very thing. And so in John 6, in, uh, I'm sorry, in John 3, verse 5 says, Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now, you understand that the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount don't even understand anything about that yet. But then by the time we get to Acts, Jesus has died, been buried, been resurrected. The crowd in Acts understands that. And they know a famous verse from Acts 2, verse 38, to to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, both water and spirit in that passage. So yes, to be in the kingdom of God, you would be expected to be baptized into Christ. That would be part of it not just buried in christ but to be resurrected in christ as it says in romans chapter six but the context of the passage is how do i live my life really more how do i live my life on monday through friday or monday through saturday rather than just how do i live it for an hour or two on sunday morning you see what i'm saying We often judge a person's faithfulness. We will call them a faithful member of the church according to what they do on Sunday morning rather than what happens the rest of the week when we can't quantify it. It is God who decides who is faithful. It is not me who decides who is faithful. I'd like to just think everybody's faithful, but I don't know. It is God who decides that. I also kind of want to stop here for just a second. Because some of you, I think, are probably thinking, this narrow path is really difficult. There are things in my past, and there are things right now with me that are happening that I I don't even want people to know. I am not living on the narrow path, and and I just want to give up. You may be thinking that right now. Do not give up. Do not stop. This is where we are headed this is where we are aiming it is not where we have all arrived none of us have totally arrived there if we think we have arrived then we are confused as as to where the destination is we are all working to get there we want to be more like jesus but the narrow path can feel intimidating if we try to walk alone oh it's so intimidating it's just so big how will I ever do this how will I ever figure this out I'm sure I've shared this before but back when I took Greek in college and in one of those things when you major in Bible you got to take Greek and and got to take Hebrew and 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 let me tell you the joke it's Greek to me is still not funny after all those years because I heard it every day from those that weren't taking Greek right so I remember the very first day of class, and my professor walks in, and and we all had our textbooks, and we are all looking, and as you know, Greek letters, they don't look like anything. Like, if you think they look like chicken scratch, wait until you get to Hebrew, and they really do. Yeah. And <laughs> there you go. that's from a former preacher, right? it's a current preacher, I might even say, said so that. And so, you, so was, we we're all kind of lost, and we're all sitting there, and we're scared to death, and and, and he walks in and he says, men, we're all guides in the class, men, close your books. He said, the only way to eat an elephant is to eat it one bite at a time. We're starting on page one. Well, I've remembered that. Matter of fact, this was kind of what was said every day last year to our daughter Emma in law school. I would always say, remember, eat your elephant one bite at a time. It's the same thing about the narrow path one bite at a time can't you can't eat it all at once it's just we keep going forward we keep getting better at this we keep our our love for god grows his grace is there and our love for him grows as we keep going forward but this is this is the tough part for some that i hurt for in the audience some of you for example are are widowed and I hurt for you because you're walking this walk, much of it by yourself, and, or maybe you never got married, and that's tough. Some of you are single, and I know that's, that's tough. And there's even a group that this is more difficult for, I think, and that is for the group of people who you are here today because you love God, and you want to serve God, and you want to give God your whole heart. But today when you go home, you will, you will arrive where there may be a spouse or a household of people who think that you have wasted your time. And that is so difficult to go through that every day of trying to live a person that has the ethics of the kingdom on the, on the mount. And every day you are bombarded with this idea that you are ridiculous, you're silly, you believe in something that is antiquated, you believe in fairy tales or myths or whatever they say. And let me tell you, I pray for you. I pray for you because I know that that walk has to be difficult. It is one of the beautiful things about about the church that God gave us, that by giving us the church, one of the things is that there is a place to come And on Sunday mornings, we remember, I am not alone. I have not lost my mind. No, there are other people who who see this like I do, who truly want to follow Jesus. But it's more than just a Sunday morning thing. That's one of the most beautiful parts of ministries and getting in classes, but especially into ministries and working alongside people is you say no i'm not alone no we're going to do this in the name of jesus and we work together and we help each other and we build relationships and friendships while we do that there's something so strong and so powerful about that but if you try to walk this world alone it is difficult back Every year I get to go on this little trip and, and write sermons. And back one of those trips back several years ago, I've shared before. Some of you remember I went to Chicago and I was in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, <coughs> excuse me, by myself for 10 days. And I'm there writing sermons and just observing and watching and seeing what's going on. And I mean, I wasn't talking to no one while I'm there. I would go into a restaurant and I had to order. They'd say, what would, you like to, what would you like to order? And I'd go... I, I realized I hadn't talked to anybody all day I couldn't even speak and so I'd finally get it out you know I wouldn't go to miss a meal right and so I'd get it out but I was hearing what was around me rather than the one doing the speaking all day long I had no idea there was so much profanity in the world I mean I needed a dictionary to figure out even what was being said and I went Went to a preseason Bears game. I went to a to a Cubs game. I went to the to the big art museum. I went to the museum of natural history. I go to all these things that I, I take the boat ride. Uh, the, the all the tourists take. I took on a crime a crime scene trip. That was kind of interesting. Has uh, full of illustrations. And so all these little things I did, but I'm by myself. I'm hearing all this around me, and I'm hearing these things that are happening and being talked about and planned. And I just hurt for our focus group and our folks that are single and those folks that, I just hurt because I thought how difficult it is to stay pure and how difficult it is to stay on the narrow path when it feels like the narrow path doesn't exist anymore when you don't know anyone on the narrow path. It's like it just somehow disappeared into thin air. Now you're just by yourself, and nobody thinks about that stuff anymore. That's one of the reasons that the church is so important, and it's so important that we remember that we are not alone. We walk alongside other people and we walk alongside Jesus. That that it's not something to give up on. Some of you know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died in a concentration camp about a week before world war ii was over he was not jewish he was a christian and he was he was a preacher he was a a theology professor he had the right to have stayed in new york if he would have chosen to and 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 missed the end of the war and just stayed with kind of the job he had there but he realized what was happening back in his home country and when he was in his home country he knew what was happening and he saw how Hitler was taking over and how the religious folks of Germany were just kind of going right along with it. And he kept saying, No, no, this isn't right. Matter of fact, the reason he was in the concentration camp, this is hard to believe from a theology professor, because we don't know how to do very many things, but but he was he was part of a group that had a conspiracy to kill Hitler because he believed that was the only way to save the nation and to so that they could advance. The gospel of Jesus and eventually he was part of that think tank and 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 was killed for that but oh he wrote some deep books and some of you have read some of his biographies he's had two or three biographies about him and have come out in about the last eight or ten years but I want you to hear what Bonhoeffer said about the Sermon on the Mount he said as long as I recognize that the ro- recognize the road as the one I am commanded to walk and I try to walk it in fear of myself it is truly impossible but if I see Jesus Christ walking ahead of me step by step if I only look at him and I follow him step by step then I will be protected on this path you hear what he's saying boy I can be so intimidated by this thing that I just don't even get on that I never become a Christian because I will never get it right I'll never get my life completely right. Well, guess what? As a preacher, as a guy who was who was at church on Sunday, who was born on Tuesday, you will never get it right because I have never gotten it right. None of us ever get it right. That's what the grace of God is all about. So he says, "If I take my if I just look at the world around me, I'll just give up." But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, just as the writer of Hebrews said, when the church was going uh, going under intense persecution in Hebrews chapter 12, in the first verse, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. We don't look at everybody else. We keep our eyes on Jesus, and we can walk the narrow path. If I take my eyes off Jesus, you can guarantee I will be in the ditch. Every time I have fallen off into the ditch, is been a time when i've taken my eyes off jesus no doubt about it every time keep our eyes on him but i also want you to know this the more we imagine walking the wide path the more constricting god's way feels you know what i'm talking about christians you know what i'm talking about some of you you know you're you're you are a faithful christian you're here every sunday morning and maybe you're here on sunday night or you're in a small group and you're here on wednesday nights and maybe even teach a class or maybe maybe uh you're a part of a of, of a group that gets together during the week or maybe you, you go down to impact and help and feed the hungry there or whatever it is. you're i'm talking about people who know jesus but oh you also kind of have a fantasy world you know a fantasy world that sometimes comes through maybe books or or through uh, movies or just things I think about let me tell you what the more you have this fantasy world out there about oh about that well yeah I know they do that but I know that well yeah but the more you have that the more you're going to get upset with God for the way that he's asked us to walk the more I think about this the more I start thinking well that's not fair why would God not want me to do this? Why would God not want me to enjoy? The more I have that world, the more chance there is that I will walk away from God and end up on the wide path. I'm just telling you. After years of doing this and after years of you living, you know what I'm talking about. You have this other world. You will, there is a good chance you will end up in it or you will lead someone else into it. It has to be. That we walk the narrow path and we leave our eyes on jesus we do not take our eyes off jesus because he is the way the narrow path is the opposite of popular opinion the narrow path will not be what everybody is telling you to do everybody says come on with us you know and and i'm not I don't know about these people's politics. I don't keep up enough to know this or that. And uh, So what I'm trying to tell you is what I've noticed is really wealthy. The wealthiest people in the country are odd. You notice that? They're kind of odd. Like, like Bill Gates, he's kind of an odd duck, right? It's kind of different. Or Be- Bezos or, or um, uh, Musk. They're kind of, when you hear him, they're like, They're kind of different. I mean, I don't know if I'd just hang out with those kind of guys. Do you know why they're odd? Because when it came to making money, they weren't thinking the way the rest of us were. They were thinking on a completely different plane. That's what makes them different. That's what makes them odd. If we were all like them, then we would all have the money they have, right? One day, I was with my daughter in the car. This is several years ago, and I said, there was a nice car going by us, a sports car that was going by us on I-10, and on Katie Freeway, and I said, I said, you know, you see that car over there? And she said, Yeah. I said, What do you see? And she said, Well, you know, I like the color of it, and it was, it was yellow, and it was a sports car, and you know, it's probably fast, and all these things. I said, Yeah, that's a, that's a fun car. I said, That's what you see at your age. I said, You know what I, what I see as a middle class guy? I think, I wonder what the gas mileage is. I said, I see it completely different than you do. But I said, But if I'm an engineer, I'm thinking about the engine and the pistons and all these other things that are inside the car. Completely different. The world is going to tell you that you're crazy for living the Sermon on the Mount. The world is going to tell you that you have made a a mistake, that you are a fuddy-duddy, that you're worthless, that you believe in something that is antiquated, that no one would do that. Let them tell you that. Because we are not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. And we follow Jesus. We do not follow where those other people are headed. We follow Jesus. Popular opinion will always be against us. And get worried when popular opinion is on our side. Because maybe we've gone off the rails if that's the way it is narrow is the way that leads to life and leads to jesus so here's my question for us today will i take a step now for some of us that step is we just need prayer and you can come forward in a minute and we'll pray for you or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org and and folks will be praying for you there and maybe your step is to be baptized into Christ today. You know you need to do that. And, and, and we'll baptize you right now in front of everybody or after everybody leaves. But you can do that as well. Have your sins forgiven, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, all those beautiful things. That we die in Christ and we come up a new person, as the Bible says. But here's another step I want to ask some of us to take. Maybe say, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for baptism." but I am willing to talk about it. You can talk to me about it. And you can ask me, or you can ask somebody on your pew, or you can ask somebody later, you know, someone in your family, whoever. And start that process of just talking about it. Sometimes that's the hardest step of all, is to say, I'm willing to consider it. However we can help you, let us. Come this morning as we stand and sing.